Welcome to the Follow Me Podcast. I'm Allie Grant, the founder of Be Social. Each week, we're inviting influencers, entrepreneurs, and the digitally savvy to share their social media story. We're going to break down how they've grown a business through their social footprint. Join us by following along on their journey. Hey guys, I'm Allie. Welcome back to the Follow Me Podcast. Um, I'm literally like sitting on the floor of my living room in a corner, um, because my neighbors are moving and it's really loud. Um, I just had to paint that picture cause it feels so silly. Um, but anyways, um, I'm excited for today's guest. I learn so much from him. He is so inspiring. Um, we'll get into that shortly, but first it's what we saw on the internet, um, so I feel like all of you can probably agree that you couldn't not scroll Instagram or read the news without reading things about GameStop and Robinhood, um, which I found so interesting and I'm really still trying to figure it out. I actually even years ago bought a book called Investing for Dummies and it was literally collecting dust um, in my house until this past week. Um, but I thought that whole situation was super interesting. I think all of us are probably now trying to figure out the stock market. Um, So if you have any tips, please DM me because I don't quite understand it yet, um, but still find it super interesting. Um, All right, so let's get into our guest. Akash Mehta is a British entrepreneur, social media influencer, and digital marketing specialist for beauty and fashion brands. He graduated from Imperial College in engineering and has worked for Burberry, Estee Lauder, and recently was the global digital manager at Dior Beauty. In 2019, Akash set up his own agency, Akash's and Digital Brand Building Agency, placing him on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. Today, he is the co-founder of beauty brand Fable and Maine. Let's get into this. Okay, let's get into this. All right, Akash, um, tell us, what is your elevator pitch? Who are you? Hi, so my name is Akash Mehta. I am a British entrepreneur. And I guess you could say uh, I used to be a social media influencer turned entrepreneur. A bit about me, I have my own hair care brand called Fable in Maine. And I also have my own influencer agency on the side, a little side hustle. And yeah, I I used to be a singer as well, but we don't talk about that. Okay, now we're going to get into that because I did some like deep talking on you and I found so many gems and I'm so excited to talk about that. Um, So typically we start the episode by asking everyone, what was your first Instagram post? Which I saw yours is like a really cute dog, but I want to ask you another question. Um, What was your first viral Facebook video? (laughs) Yes, my first viral and probably only viral video was um, my cover of an Ariana Grande song. Um, It was an acoustic mashup of uh, One Last Time and... um, Break free, what was it? Uh, yeah, break free, and uh, yeah. So that was that went quite viral. We had a million views, uh, quite a lot of shares. So that was a very exciting moment. Oh my gosh, I was like dying when I found that. So, like, tell me a little bit about that. Did you start singing at a young age? But like, did you want to be like a pop singer? Like, I need to know more. Yeah. So I basically. I always knew I was a pretty good shower singer and I was like, okay, now I need to take this out of the shower and how do I get it into a bit more of like, you know, out there. But I wasn't actually like, personally, I don't think I'm like the best singer. I just think I had like a nice voice with a dream of being famous. So then I was like, okay, let's go into singing. 
uh, at a very <laughs> young age. Um, and then I, but I had a really bad thing of I was had a really bad like stage fright, so I couldn't like every talent talent show in school. I would always be like, nope, not doing it, not doing it. And no. then, but I would rely on my birthdays. This is the funniest thing. On my birthdays, I would always like do these kind of big 16, 18 year old birthday parties and have like a singer from whether it was X Factor or someone. And then those <laughs> moments, I would be like, okay, I want my turf. Let me sing with that person. So then people started realizing, oh, you can actually sing. So that was a, that was my first way of kind of getting into it, getting comfortable. And then in uni, I ended up actually joining an acapella group uh busking on the street singing like pitch perfect style got really that's where i got my confidence in singing and then i started working with a producer from sony working on like after lectures just working on like um tracks and some of my own ep but mainly doing covers and i found yeah people like the covers people were enjoying it wow that is so wild so you got like a million views on that video of the ariana grande cover and then you yourself you have like 200,000 plus Instagram followers. So I think this singing career was also sort of like the beginning of your digital career in a way. I'm sure you learned a lot along the way on how to like get videos to go viral and like digital marketing. Is that true? You've literally hit the nail on the head. Like I, I can tell you're an expert in this stuff because yeah, no, that's literally how it happened. Like I, um, I didn't even put the dots together. It was in my first internship when I graduated and I did engineering, so very different to this whole marketing digital space. Um, and at that time they were like, Hey, you know, you have quite a lot of followers and you know, do you know how you, you know, how did you grow them? And I said, yeah, like I've done ads on my own account. I've done, um, things to make me get viral, how to get followers, you know, giveaways. I've done all the, you know, you know, kind of things in the book. So without realizing, I said, oh, let me transfer the knowledge of me growing my own account as a singer into a brand and help them with their digital marketing. I think that's how it yeah, came around. I love that. And I think it's so interesting too that you studied engineering, which, okay, you're extremely smart, obviously. And so then you shifted completely. And I think I read somewhere that you were like, I'm either going to do music or I'm going to do brand marketing. And you chose brand marketing. So kind of what was your first foray into like working in the corporate world? Yeah, so, well, it all stemmed from, you know, I'm very honest about it now because at that time it was very like embarrassing, but now like, no, it's great. It's it's who I am. So I I ended up failed. um, I failed a year during university. And I think it was that moment when I kind of realized, well, like, I used to be this mathematics, science geek, always trying to get, you know, 100% in exams. And suddenly I'm like, why am I not succeeding in engineering? And I realized this is just not what I'm passionate about. And if you're not passionate about something, generally speaking, you can fake it till you make it. But after a while, it's going to get a point where, you know, you're not going to start succeeding because you're just, you're not going to put in the energy. So um, I basically realized at that point, I said, let me go back, finish my year, just get the degree, but then I'm out of it. I'm doing something completely different, jumping shift. And my dad was in the beauty industry. He's still in you know, for 40, 50 years building brands. So he kind of hooked me up with an internship at Estee Lauder at that time. Um, and then I said, you know what, let me, let me just try this. You know, I, I know beauty. I'm interested in it from my dad, but something's very different. And it was at that moment when they had a social media manager role and they were like, you know, you could be perfect for this. It's kind of when the stars aligned and yeah. it all happened from there. And I read, I think you were like one of the youngest to grab a manager position at Estee Lauder. Is that yeah. true? Yeah, I was um, at that time. I was twenty-one. Yeah, oh my gosh. yeah. So I had a lot of politics as well. A lot of yeah. Happening here. And were you yeah. working for Estee Lauder? Loved it. Like honestly, like I've been very fortunate with all the companies I've worked for in the past. It has been an absolute dream. But I will say, like 
you know, I've also like left them at the right times before it could get into other stories. So yeah, I've yeah. definitely had good experience. Obviously I've had bad experiences, but that's kind of like what I'm grateful for too, because it really made me who I am and learn from them. And you yeah. worked on the Dior beauty brand, correct? Exactly. For the last, yeah, three years, I was on Dior in Paris in the global office. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, awesome. So what does that mean, like working? I think a lot of people probably listening are like, oh, I want to get, in, you know, be a digital manager for a global beauty brand. But what do you actually do? It's probably not as like fancy as it seems. Like what's a day to day for someone in that role working for Dior beauty? No, definitely. So, I mean, if you see Emily in Paris, let's say there are some similarities, some, not all, um, but uh, it is pretty much, you know, when you work for these beauty brands, especially the luxury French, so you've got to first think about kind of two things. One is global office and then also being in France. So being in France is also very different because even though you're in a head office, probably 95% of the employees are French, are from Paris. And every day we were just speaking French, not English. Like in the office, my team, everyone was speaking French, French, French. So if you don't speak French, very, very hard to land a job in a global role in, in Paris, number one. But that's something that, you know, I didn't know this till I started. And, you know, I was always applying, sending my CVs in English and I'm realizing, why was I never getting heard? And I, was, I realized if you don't send a CV in French into a French company, you're not going to get seen. It's just like a little inside fact. Did you um, French prior or did you study at university? Or? Well, I actually studied it at school, in high school, um, for about seven, eight years. But then I didn't study for, you know, I didn't practice it for seven, eight years. So I had to like, before I was leaving, I still ordered to go to Dior. I, I basically took a lot of lessons, uh, had some teachers and also a bit of Duolingo and just got, and you know, the main growth of French was when you're there because you're just forced to speak in it every day. Um, yeah. that, that's just basically it. But but yeah, working in, in, a, in a French in, 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 in the Dior head office, I think one of the biggest lessons also is like, it's, a, it's not, it can be glamorous. There are moments of glamour when you travel, go around the world, you know, they're glamourful. But then there are a lot of, lot of moments where it's just around a desk, not very um, uh, exciting. And mm. it's important to know like, the difference between a global role and a local role. Because in Estee Lauder, I was in a local role, meaning you're a lot more closer to the actual selling of the products, the retail, the events, you know, you're there. But you get told more or less what to do from global. You know, you get the briefs and the and the guidelines and you execute. In global, you're more creating the briefs. So your days are mainly doing creating presentations, um, but you don't actually necessarily execute because you're reliant on the markets to do the execution. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. And the markets are everywhere, New York. Everywhere, exactly. Like US, and we have different head offices in like, you know, New York and London. Um, and But you'd also be surprised is like, Working for a company like this is also how small it is. Like I pretty much by the end of three years knew every single person in the main roles in Dior worldwide um, in beauty. Because it's like, you know, the head office is quite small. Um, the local markets are even smaller, you know, maybe even 10, 12 people in local markets, if that, even less sometimes. So yeah, it's quite a family. It's quite, it's really, a, that's the best part of it is like, it's very tight knit. Yeah, that's interesting. And then you obviously thought of a company concept and you were like, I'm going to go and do this on my own. Like what gave you the courage to do that? And like, at what point in your career did you feel like that was the right move? Because I feel like that's a question a lot of people ask. They might be in like a really cush corporate job where they have a great salary. So they're too scared to make that leap of faith. Like how did you feel like it was the right time for you? Totally. Well, I think the first thing is if you're in a position like that is like, um, you know, we've all been there. I've been in positions where 
they've you know also been promised a lot of things. So there's also that you might even not be in a very commercial like high salary job, but you think it's coming, but then it ends up not coming or delayed. So like it is true, like, you know, these things happen and it's very hard sometimes to like just say I'm jumping ship. For me, I did do it in a I think what I would my way I would recommend is a quite a sensible way. I basically started working on the idea. I knew I always wanted to create my own brand first and foremost. And I always knew I wanted to do it in a very um yeah, I want to be an entrepreneur. And my sister had the ideation of having this hair care brand and we kind of came together and we worked on it bit by bit. And I said, This is it, we're doing it together. Wasn't my intention to have a brand with her, but best thing has happened so far is having that brand with her and then what happened was is I basically said to her like I'm gonna stay at Dior for a little bit longer because you know we need to make sure this is happening I'll work extra at home like I'll I'll you know sometimes I'll, I'll do an hour at work but I would usually work like after until 3 4 a.m so there were long nights long days but yeah. I got to the point where once I knew the brand was ready it was happening retail was secured and I was ready to jump ship I literally mm-hmm. then said, okay, I'm quitting because I can't handle both at that point. Right. But mm-hmm. I had that kind of security blanket of not of still getting some income, still having the opportunities that would come with Dior if it didn't go the right direction with my own brand. But yeah, uh, yeah there's no rubric. You can do two things at the same time, I always say, you know. Right, like a, a true side hustle. Like you're literally <laughs> from work and then getting in front of your computer and doing it all over it again. Yeah, yeah it, it's a lot. But I am I was on your website, Fable and Maine. Your branding is so awesome. The product looks amazing. I can't wait to try it. So tell us about, you know, coming up with a concept and how is it launching a hair care or a beauty line? I know it's not easy. Definitely. I think like so for us, a lot of the potential hiccups and struggles that could come with creating a beauty brand was omitted from day one by having a very strong brand concept. And more so than just a brand concept is that authenticity behind it. Uh, my dad, when he was, you know, when I was younger, he told me the biggest lesson, I think, in terms of entrepreneurial brand building is have a story, make something or do something that you have a true story in and it's authentic to you. Um, in some form or another, you know, you have credibility in it, but authenticity in it. So I think for us, like number one being, you know, this is a product that me and my sister needed because, you know, unfortunately, so it stemmed from our own childhood memories of our grandma oiling our hair um, with uh, these natural, incredible oils. But they didn't smell so good, but they worked wonders because these are Ayurvedic, ancient Indian secrets passed on from generations from the last 4,000 years. And I was mm-hmm. looking into the market and I was like, you know, now my sister is having some hair fall recently last year. You know, we lost touch to our traditions and our grandmas, unfortunately, you know, they've all passed away. So we were like, you know, we missed this memory, but we also missed this product. And why is there nothing like this? And we ended up wanting the product for ourselves, looked all over the market, couldn't find one and couldn't find one that smelled like really good. You know, they always smell quite potent and very like strong. So we kind of wanted to create it for ourselves and realize this is something that is not only for us and it's an authentic story to our own kind of childhood memories, but the market needs it. And I think from that moment on, We've been fortunate enough to have a lot of the things just really happen very easily. And, I, and it comes to even an example of retail. Like we got into Sephora through initial conversations of just our brand book, you know, just um, the idea I, before we even a sample, we yeah. linked the mer- message to the merchant and said, do you want to hear our brand? You know, uh, can you explain that process a little bit? Because I think yeah. 
you know, I own a communications agency. We always have, you know, up and coming brands come to us. They're always saying, oh, I want to be in Sephora, this and that. And I, I have a few friends, influencer friends, um, friends in the business who started. And I think similar concept to you is like they almost talked to Sephora before the product was actually in their hands. So talk me through that process of like, how do you get in contact with Sephora? Like what's a pitch look like to them? And a little bit more of like insight there. Definitely. definitely. So the best, best way always in life is if you have friends or connections, you know, always leverage them where possible. That definitely does help. And we'll, I'll be lying if it didn't. But for our story, which I think hopefully can inspire a lot of people, is we actually managed to, you know, work with Sephora in a very organic and easy way. It was a simple LinkedIn message to the hair merchant. They said, look, this is interesting. They probably get thousands of messages anyway a month. But they said, like, yeah, just send us your idea. We sent it. They actually replied and they said, we actually, from first glance, we love this concept. And that's where that brand book is so important. Spending in your logo, your creative concept, your, you know, your brand colors, your Pantone color, all that kind of stuff does make a big difference because that's like the first thing they can feel and see and touch. Then from that, if you're fortunate enough, they'll say, look, look, let's meet when you're in San Francisco next. And we said, oh, we're, we're coming to LA. We can come meet you. We met them. We introduced the brand concept. At this point, still no samples. We didn't even go to the labs yet. And they were like, we love this idea. Come back in a month. I'll bring my VP, other people in the room. But can you have samples by then? So we worked really hard getting samples. At that point, we were even more hungry for it because we had like a maybe like a retail coming. We had like some reason to do it quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, once we had the samples, um, you know, they, they, then they love the samples and then we're in the kitchen with them. You start working with them, you start building with them. And that's the beauty of a Sephora is they really will invest in you, but it is true. They don't really accept every brand on the market. So okay. I would say we were lucky in the sense of our journey with them has been quite easy, but I think it's omitted from that fact that like, you know, we just had a strong brand concept and brand book from the beginning. Right. Something they were looking for, right? And like, yeah, exactly. Right to sell. And so, okay, so they're into it, they like it. And then what happens? They give you like a purchase order and then you have to go and scramble and basically get it manufactured, right? Yeah, so even, they don't even do that at that point. You then have to then, you know, they say, come back when you're ready with stock and then we'll, we'll, we'll start you. Normally they will start you online first and then you go in store a bit later. They want to first test it before they commit to shelf space. Um, mm-hmm. But we were fortunate enough to launch in the next big thing. So, you know, we were able to guarantee short space in, in most, of the, most of their stores. Um, and then basically what happens is, is it's, and never get afraid of this with most retailers, they will always put a very, very small purchase order. So they might only order 100 units of each. And you're like, what? Like, I thought this was going to be huge. Like, you know, but yeah. they replenish on a weekly basis. So that if it sells out, they'll order a thousand. Or if it sells a little bit, they'll order 50 more. But they order on a weekly basis, which is the hardest thing, I think, with earning a brand in the beauty space is that stock management and product operations management. Because, you know, you have a decision at the beginning. Do you spend your cash flow to get 20,000 units of your product or 100,000 units or 1,000 units? If you have 1,000 units, that's fine. As long as you have a very short lead time, it means you can completely producing new products very quickly. But like for us, our lead time is quite long because of the ingredients, the complexities. So let's say it takes about four months for me to get my product. I need to make sure I, I do do my first PO to my lab with a good enough quantity. So it is hard because you know you might be with a retailer, you might have 100,000 products and then they only buy 100. But I've done... Boots, Douglas, Sephora, they all start like this. But then if your brand is going to work, it increases so quickly. So, so, so quickly. Okay, awesome. And then, okay, so you've got your product in store. 
now the pressure's on, right? Because if it just sits there on the shelves, they're not going to ever order more from you. So you have to have a strong digital marketing plan, marketing in general. Are those things you go over with Sephora? And like, what were some of the things you did that really helped move product off the shelves? Definitely. I mean, it's not so granular where there'll be kind of like signing off things, but they definitely want to be in the loop of anything you're doing, mainly also for the fact that they might be able to help you, you know, and, and basically make you um, maximize the efforts. So it is a mixture of you want to make sure you have very strong marketing efforts, um, but you want to also not spend everything on day one, because I think when you build a brand organically and authentically, you don't want to spend 10K on ads, you know, from day one. It's, it should be first thinking about Influencers is a very good angle of this, if done with the right influencers, uh, PR, mm-hmm. press, you know, those are the first things you want to be first in the, uh, kind of investing in before you start spending thousands on Facebook ads, social ads and Google ads, but that will need to come. Uh, but when it comes to retail, you know, bearing in mind when you're on the retail side, you know, all those ads are usually for your .com. So can you also find that balance between giving enough budget to support their initiatives, which might include things like sampling. Uh, you know, they might have opportunities for you to sample with their customer base. Is it driving traffic via influencers or is it pop-up events if there's stores open? You know, all this stuff is where there's not really a rule book, but you got to start spending from day one because um, the worst thing is beginning is where you're basically being tested. If you don't deliver, you could be delisted after three, four months. Yeah, absolutely. And you had some pretty immediate success on TikTok, correct? Can you explain that process? I think that's like everyone's goal now is like, I want to go viral on TikTok. If I hear another client say that, I'm like, ah! I can try. Yeah, Yeah. no. process. Definitely. So, I mean, I'll be honest. So, beginning of the year, I was still apprehensive of TikTok. I thought it's an amazing platform, but I didn't know if it would convert. There's the right consumer base on there. Um, it's very hard to track. There's not really that kind of swipe up effect. So it wasn't something on the radar initially, but um, it's actually my sister who was like, look, I found these incredible like, Indian TikTok influencers. They can tell their own authentic stories of their own hair care journeys, um, which is true to them. Um, let's try working with some of them. And so we gifted them, we got them to tell their stories. And then, you know, it started happening where the first video, it went viral um, again, I wouldn't say it's very hard to replicate it. And it's very hard to say like there was a formula, but there was a minute kind of a formula. The formula being working with the right rising ones. Second, it would be like making sure you're telling your educative you know, story in a very clear, quick and fun way. So you're getting the message across and the, you know, even think key clear benefits like uh, what does Dashmul do for your hair, right? Normally that would be quite kind of, educational and quite like not very easy to say but can you use it in a fun way via the influencer and then also making sure you do it in a very non-branded way so they are in control so that allows it to be viral a lot quicker because people really believe it it's not like ad ad and i think if you start populating tiktok with this like ad ad it becomes a bit like instagram where it's all like oh this has been paid to say this this has been paid to say this so that's where you got to think a bit you know granular to the platform itself but yeah it does um I think, yeah, it does, uh, it does work. It definitely mm-hmm. does convert. TikTok is an incredible platform to work with as any brand. You yeah. just have to have that right kind of planning beforehand on when you, what you do. Yeah, that makes sense. And so is part of your strategy now, are you consistently gifting TikTok influencers, Instagrammers, YouTubers, like a mix of everyone? What does yeah. that look like? 
we're doing an always-on program similar to like Glossier, working a lot more with the nanos. So the the very like kind of I don't even like the word nano, but brand communities, which is basically like um, you know the people who have more of a niche audience, but very strong and loyal audience it could be their friends, their family, or many inf- like you know other influencers in the rise. Uh, okay. Those are the ones we're working with um, that we're, we're gifting and paying to like you know really authentically tell our their story with our products. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know when you can do that at scale, it works really well. Um, okay. But also with TikTok, you know, working with the Indian TikTok influencers to tell their hair care journeys. We really want to like our brand. We're seeing a huge rise in like South Asian supporting South Asian, you know, whether it's influencers supporting influencers, brands supporting brands. Um, and I think that's like the beautiful thing about this year is, is like, you know, it's a big community that often isn't is often quite neglected, too. You know, we don't really um, like South Asians, there's so many of them in America, in the world. But like, you know, I was struck being like one of the first South Asian brands in Sephora or like, you know, like why is why is you have K-beauty, but why is there like I-beauty, like Indian beauty? Like, you know, that's not really out there. So, yeah, I want to basically be one of the brands that kind of fuels that growth of sharing all these Indian beauty secrets. Yeah, I love that. Do you think that the brand could go into different categories like skin and cosmetics and or do you want to stay within hair? So, I mean, we we're, we have been thinking about this for quite a long time. We're, we're definitely going for sure into the wellness space or working with like, we've already, we're launching a yoga mat, a turmeric infused cotton yoga mat. We're launching um, a couple of water bottles this week. And we have a, a really cool thing. We're launching a 3D printed tiger head, which is basically a 3D tea that you drop into uh, milk and it becomes a chai latte with hair benefits like biotin and stuff. Yeah. So we're going into kind of like, yeah, wellness, ingestibles, um, I think from a body and makeup, probably not in the immediate future because we're also quite hindered by the fact that um, our name is Fable and Main. So like you have the hair quite in there in the name. Um, but also I, I just think there's so much still to be done in, in hair. And I think, you know, for us, we don't want to lose focus of the mission that we still need to do in the next couple of years. Yeah, that makes sense. What is your best-selling product right now? For sure, the hair oil. I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's the one that keeps on selling out and it's the one that, um, people, which I'm really happy with because for me, hair oils is something that like, it's, I, I didn't think many people would be like, as like, you know, shampoo is safe, mask, hair mask is safe, but hair oil, not many people you would think would want to try it if they've yeah. never done it before. But yeah, we're seeing a lot of people really connect to this product. Yeah. I mean, hair oil is like, I put that on every night, every morning I have yeah. like coarse curly hair and like it keeps my hair so healthy so I need to try yours I'm gonna send you the product I have to try <laughs> oh, yes. I was totally fishing for that so, yeah, no, so- you're getting them <laughs> okay cool um okay and then I want to talk a little bit about your agency Akash agency are you still doing that like and how do you have time to juggle both now so I actually have um this is this is the life of a I guess an entrepreneur is changes every day every month every week um so we I've actually closed a cash agency but I've started um another agency which is just focusing on like influencer like like the 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 community seeding of influencers. Okay. So kind of what I've done at Fable in Maine and what I did with Dior, my main basically last four years was working with these kind of brand communities. Uh, I wanted to deliver that for different clients around the world. So it's called Kawanu, which is basically like um, content commerce community for a network unified. So Kawanu, but it's a bit of a, like a quirky name. But the reason mainly for this is... Um, is mainly because I didn't want my name attached to um, an agency. So like, so personally, now I'm like, you know, I'm going into brand building with my brand and, you know, I just kind of realized um, 
I don't think it does. If I, if I have my name on there, it makes me a little bit more reliant on the client. They need me on the calls. They need me there. It's a bit more like you're paying for a cash. And then the second thing is, is like if anything goes wrong, that's like my name out there. But sometimes, you know, it's things I can't control. So I just, yeah, I, had a, I kind of, I don't even know why I called it a cash agency. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now it's changed. It's <laughs> in your mind, I mean. <laughs> it's okay, you know, better late than never. So. <laughs> yeah, no, that's funny. Um, okay, cool. So you have a handful of clients there and that's, you know, something you're just, I guess now that's your side hustle or your side That's of- my side hustle for sure, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. I love that. And I'm sure people are coming to you and seeing, you know, the success of the brands you used to work for and your own your own brands. They're really able to kind of lend that help to up and coming brands. So exactly. Awesome. I want to learn more about your agency. So you're gonna have to send me that link. I will for sure. Yes. Um, okay, cool. So now what we're gonna go into is just rapid fire questions. Um we say rapid fire, but they're more like you answer in like a sentence or so, so not just a word. Um, so I'll go through these. Um, how is it working with your sister? Uh, surprisingly, a dream come true. Like it's, yeah, it's actually made us closer as uh, siblings, but also um, I've learned a lot from her and yeah, her from me. So it's been really good. And tips on going into business with family? Set boundaries, set clear job descriptions, and um, just be patient with each other. We all have off days, so make sure you know you do. Sometimes even put family first is very important. Yeah. Do you guys go to an office every day, or how do you? I mean, we're all sort of remote now. Yeah, Um, I'm more of an office person, but I also have like my side hustle where I have like six, seven employees, and so I need to have my office space. My sister is more of a she'll come in when she comes in, but it's okay because I don't mind that because. I'm, I'm the active CEO of Fable and Mainzer. For me, I'm the one really putting the structure and she's a creative director. So I don't need the creative director every day in the office. It's okay for me to yeah, have her be creative somewhere else. <laughs> um, where do you see the influencer industry in the next five years? Um, so I think it's going to, it's definitely going to stay. Uh, a lot of talks about is it in and is it out? It's going to stay. I just think we're going to go into a lot more, I think we're going to go a lot more organic. I think it's going to go a lot more, but it needs to go more organic. And I think we're going to go a lot more into brand building. I'm seeing a lot of influencers building brands and becoming yeah. kind of their own little entrepreneurs. Yeah. yeah I'm going to take a side, little side cut here for a second and actually talk about that a little bit because you have a really strong social following. Yeah. And I think this is something we typically, when we have a brand come to us as an agency, we're always like, who's the founder? What's their story? What's their brand? And we really encourage up and coming brands to have the founder be forward facing and tell a story and be impressed and grow their own social following. What do you think about that? And how have you done that like in your own business? I think that's so important. And like, you know, one of the things that we've even told our PR agencies and stuff is, you know, as much as the products are important to sell, can you like really start pitching me and my sister? Because Mm -hmm. I do think like we are our own product in itself um, to the brand. And I think people also will buy into the founder story, providing it's an authentic story. I think then, you know, you can really use it to an advantage. And and also, I think it just allows the brand to be a lot more um, closer to the the consumer or whoever's interested in it. So, you know, for us, we made sure like we've done a lot of live streams and uh, a lot of uh, podcasts and talks and um, whatever we can do to go above and beyond to just connect. And I think for me as a consumer, I've been more interested in the beauty brands or any brands that I really know who the CEO is, whether it's an industry level thing of like the luxury brands or even just founder led brands like Tatcha, Bikitsai or, you know, Briage with Nancy Twine, all these beauty brands. 
I follow them. And it's kind of a thing because I'm like, I'm kind of like upset some of them don't even have bigger followers. Like they're so inspiring. I want them to have a million followers. I think Jen Atkane and people like that, they've really done it well. But I want the the newer ones who've got 10 million, 20 million, 30 million euro business dollar businesses. Can yeah. they be the next influencers too, you know? Yeah, no, I think that is so important and something we really push because you're right. It's like they're a product in themselves, right? And yeah. able to amplify whatever they're pushing out. So, okay. Just had to get your take on that. Mm-hmm. Rapid fire. Um, what brand do you feel like is killing it the most in the influencer space? I What brand? Um, I would say, ooh, it's a very good question. Definitely, I'm seeing a lot of like um, the whole like Kylie skin and you know, Fenty. Um, a lot of those powerhouses by those kind of, I wouldn't even say celebrities, but like even more than celebrities. They definitely are working really well. But the ones that I'm seeing, I think, work really well with influencers are the sort of Sephora type brands, you know, like Jizu, Way. I'm looking at hair care brands for now. But um, yeah, the ones that go beyond the way they work with influencers, so beyond just a simple PR package, are they working with them in a creative way, a storytelling way, something unique, or even something viral, like fun little filters or Instagram kind of uh, reels? Uh, Dior is also doing quite a good job, I feel. Uh, more Dior fashion, to be honest, which is not who I worked for. But I'm really liking what they're doing with influencers. I think they're really pushing the boundaries of luxury, which is great. Yeah. Um, what accomplishment are you most proud of? I think for me, um, I, probably my like the Forbes 30 and the 30 achievement I got, which... Um, which was always- so cool. Like, congratulations. That was definitely... Uh, it was always a dream of mine. Um, uh, no, I don't know really why, but it just was. And then I, I remember um, just thinking like it would never happen while I worked for a big company because I think they always like to work, uh, choose people who are like entrepreneurs who have their own company. So to be chosen while I was at LVMH, I think that was a, a big moment and also kind of a good, kind of a, a really cool pat in the back, but also a good moment for me to be like, cool, I've done my job. I've been yeah. recognized. Now I can leave. Because <laughs> yeah. that's the thing. When you work for these big companies, you put in your heart, your blood, your sweat. Yeah. And then like, sometimes you're like, do you even get noticed? It's so big. It's so corporate. Um, when I leave, no one will even know what I did. So if you know <laughs> that, yeah, it's always there on Forbes.com. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Yeah, I, love that. I know. It's one of the first things that comes up when you Google your name. That's so. pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how often you Google your name, but... <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, I know. Anyways, but sometimes. Um, this is a big question, and I could go on for like hours on this. How has COVID-19 affected your career and your business? So I would say, honestly, if I'm being really honest, it's helped the business, which is a very odd answer, I know. Um, but I can do. I mean, look at companies like Zoom. Um, but uh, for us, it's accelerated um, the shift. I always knew I wanted to build a business digital first. And I think the market is just really accelerated to be digital native, You know, whether it's retail going online first, whether it's influencers or social media. And that's all I know. That's my main bread and butter for my last couple of years in industry. So I did start the brand of Fable and Main thinking with Nikki being like, we're going to build this with kind of online first, DTC first. So that was good. And also like the fact that salons have closed and people are, you know, wanting hair care rituals at home and people are trying new products and experimenting. And you're looking at skin and hair being the rising kind of sectors of beauty, whereas makeup and fragrance might be falling. But, um, uh, you know, for us, like our brand was always meant to be something to experience at home. So yeah, it's probably definitely helped. I can't yeah. say the awkward part is, is like we launched 
literally at the beginning of lockdown of coronavirus. So I don't even know what sales would have been or business would have been before. Comparison there, yeah. Okay. No, but, I think yeah. we've seen that too with a lot of the beauty brands we represent, like in yeah. the tan space and things like that. Like it's actually we've seen this huge influx because people can't go to the hair salons and things like that like they could before. So yeah. kind of an interesting shift for the beauty space for sure. Definitely. Uh, and then what is the most rewarding part of your job? I think it's um, probably every day just logging on into like Instagram or Google and just seeing the either the organic or the influencer posts and just seeing like honestly seeing people have the products in their bathroom or, you know, where it's in maybe in Argentina or in Russia and just seeing the products everywhere um, that we created. It was like an idea we had and to know, oh, wow, it's in someone's home right now. I even sometimes like, even when I go to my friend's home or, you know, whatever, and I just go in the bathroom and I just see that the shampoo in the, in the shower, I'm just like, oh my God, this is so weird, but this is so cool. Um, and obviously I gave it to them, but still, it's so cool to see it like there and they're using yeah. it. So, um, yeah, no, it's definitely very, very rewarding to see that and mainly to see that people genuinely love the product and sometimes even scarily, like, you know, we get the negative comments by far, you know, hair is such a personal story, you know, you could have some people not enjoying products, and that's just normal. So we do get the, you know, the odd negatives here and there. But on average, it's been overwhelmingly positive that people have been saying specifically for the hair oil that it saved their hair. So even for me, I'm like, getting more excited by the product just from hearing what people are saying. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so in closing, it's kind of like a strange question. But like, why would someone want your job? Like, what would you say to someone to encourage them to go and start their own beauty line? Like, what's so great about it? I would say, well, it depends how you feel about yourself. But like, honestly, there's no better boss than yourself. And uh, I worked enough in corporate to know that the things that really normally let me down were hierarchy and bad bosses. And, you know, I just wanted to be in control of my own destiny, my own path. And especially right now, it's it's the most gratifying feeling. Um, but also that flexibility of, you know, every day you wake up, you control. It's not that nine to five. It's not that it's probably six to midnight. But anyway, it's it's just it's just generally the most gratifying thing to work for yourself for sure. I feel that way too. Um yeah. okay, where can people follow you? So uh my Instagram is meta underscore a and uh Fable and Main is at Fable and Main. But yeah, you can follow me there. Perfect. Thank you so much. It's amazing. I mean, you're killing it and your career journey is so inspiring. So thanks for sharing your story. Thanks so much for having me. And yeah, really appreciate it. And sending all my love from London. Okay.